0: back to Twin Peaks Talk, your weekly Twin Peaks recap, analysis, dissection, discussion, episode by episode with Dr. Sean Travers, author of Trauma in American Pop Culture and Texts 1980-2020, to 2020. and me, I'm Chris, and I am the host of the Cult Film Companion Podcast. So we welcome you back to Twin Peaks Talk here, brought to you by the Cult Film Companion, which is available on all major podcast platforms. Both podcasts are also featured on the Blind Knowledge Collective at www.blindknowledge.com, which is a great website to check out for video casts and podcasts from all around the world. So I urge you to check out all the fun creators over there. And we are also featured on Newsly. Newsly is an audio app for iOS and Android that captures the latest trending articles based on topics that you choose to follow and then reads them to you in a natural human voice. Download and use Newsly for free today at www.newsly.me and please use the promo code C-U-L-T-F-1-L-M that's cult film drop the eye pop in a one and get a month free of their premium service courtesy of us. We are currently on episode 2 of Twin Peaks, or, yes, so we covered the pilot episode, we covered episode 1, this episode is so nice, we had to record twice, because, uh, actually of technical reasons but this is zen or the skill to catch a killer which originally aired on april 19th 1990 and was scripted by david creators david lynch and mark frost and directed by david lynch so we had talked um about how this is such an iconic episode and just a favorite of both of ours. And, um, Sean, I'll let you have the first word on um, what makes this episode so iconic and so memorable and one of the, um, quite frankly, one of the probably the best episodes in in the original run of Twin Peaks. Um, Yeah, I think you get
1: everything that's quintessential to Twin Peaks in this episode. I'm we're going to show somebody an episode out of context. Uh, I would go for this one.
0: Yeah, this um, you could. This is almost a, a perfect episode to show someone out of context because I think we had mentioned this um, when, when we first recorded that if mm. you, if you kind of picked a random episode of Twin Peaks and just showed someone it, uh, they're going to be confused. But this episode just because the the murder investigation is still fresh um, plus I think the um, the investigation the way that it, it's shown in this episode um, with 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 agent Cooper and his technique of uh, throwing rocks at a bottle um, and summing up who the prime suspects are here is it, it, it's very unique it's very interesting um, but you know, it it has everything about the, tw- the 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 kind of iconic moments of Twin Peaks oh. are um, are all here. All the characters are here. Well, um, well the
1: genres too. You've got the horror. You've got the police procedural. The soap opera. you got you got a bit of everything in this episode. And I think um, it's almost like a, a preview in a way of what Twin Peaks does.
0: Right, and. Um, uh, of course we get, uh, you know, one of the things that is, um, wh- is a, a, a favorite, a fan favorite, is um, of course the Black Lodge. And we get our first glimpse into the Black Lodge in this episode at the very end. But um, before we get to the very end, let's um, start at the beginning with um, the Log ladies intro to this episode, which is, quote... Sometimes ideas, like men, jump up and say hello. They introduce themselves, these ideas, with words. Are they words? These ideas speak so strangely. All that we see in this world is based on someone's ideas. Some ideas are destructive, some are constructive. Some ideas can arrive in the form of a dream. I could say it again, some ideas arrive in the form of a dream. And I'll let you, if you'd like to tackle, why this is such an apt intro to this um, this episode, particularly... Oh, by...
1: yeah, it is, uh, it's like Cooper dreaming the, the solution to the murder he's trying to solve, but it's also a nice metafictional reference to uh, Lynch's approach to filmmaking, and all it's sometimes it's inspired by dream projects.
0: Right. You know... Are we all, you know, the, the dream within a dream, or are we all living in a dream, and would the dreamer ever know that they're in a dream? All that kind of multi-layered analysis here, brought to us by the Log Lady. And, um, speaking of which, uh, before we get into, um, Cooper, let's talk about the, um the music and the dancing that takes place in this episode, because we start out with, um, a scene of, uh, Uncle Jerry returning from, uh, Paris with these, uh, brie and butter baguette sandwiches. And, uh, one of the deleted scenes was actually Uncle Jerry was going to do some sort of, um, uh, Native American Indian Dance and that was cut out. Be- and uh, it's probably for the best now. Probably wouldn't have aged very well. But we get some some um, interesting interesting uh, moments here with the two brothers and the way that um, it kind of gives insight to the way they consume everything in life is is oh. um, indulgent. Wouldn't you say the way that they attack these sandwiches is very similar to the way that they handle business and their relationships?
1: Yeah, that's, it's, it's almost like a violence in their actions, and I think the opening scene with the sandwiches that jumped out at me on this rewatch is that our um, lack of communication and inability to communicate really is a, a theme in this episode. Their, their mouths are full so they can't really talk to each other properly and they can't understand what the other person is saying and then that lines up with the end of the episode when um, the characters in the Black Lodge are speaking backwards to Cooper and are trying to say something very important, clues to solving Laura Palmer's murder but they're not able to communicate that properly
0: Right, and, and, and their total kind of disregard for um, I, I think you don't know, the disregard for the people around them I, they're, they're so oh. self-centered and so um egotistical and arrogant uh the, the way that they they treat the people around them and I'm, of course talking about uh uh jerry and, and and ben um you know we see them ravage I, i'm gonna say ravage these sandwiches you know they're 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 not even like. It seems like they're enjoying it, but like you said, their mouths are always full. They're they're just chewing, 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 and um, uh, I I just think that you know it's just a nod that you know we. I think we had talked about um, the way that Tarantino always made sure that if there's going to be food in a scene, um, people are going to be eating, and you know, because yeah, because the
1: characters don't eat in a lot of these before the Gilmore Girls, they have these and they order these amazing breakfasts at a local diner or cafe and then they take one bite and they leave.
0: Really? Okay, because I was going to say, I guess, yeah, I'm just trying to think yeah, there's, there's, you know sitcoms and TV shows and movies that take place like in restaurants and you'll never see a character eat and um, and I think that was kind of just like at the time either a, a creative kind of thing by a director or whatever, but then, you know, um, certain people would, uh, certain creators and creatives would would make sure to utilize the fact that, well, if we're gonna have scenes, let's at least have them eating, and, uh, you know, like you said, you know, shows like the Gilmore Girls, they'll be ordering these elaborate meals, and you'll never see anyone eat. Of course, if you, you know, put on an episode of The Sopranos, you're gonna see people, um, At the very least, you're going to see Tony Soprano uh, downing a lot of food. But I guess there was a period of time there where it was maybe uncouth or just uncool or just wasn't hip to have your characters uh, seen eating. So um, I wonder if that's just kind of Lynch making a comment on that, having these, um, you know, another TV show would have Uncle Jerry show up with these elaborate baguette sandwiches. And nothing would come of them. And in, in yeah. his in his show they get ravaged and, he's eating
1: and then they still epitomizes being hangry, doesn't it?
0: Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we see them go on to their you know, it seems like their obsession are like the finer things in life or just just strictly carnal pleasures, you know, um good food and then going hopping on a boat and going up to um one eyed jacks which is um, a brothel just over the um, just over the border in Canada and we find out that um, Mr. Horn, Jerry Audrey's father um, uses uh, the department store as a way to kind of uh, find women for one eye jack yes and the
1: Twin Peaks gets like, very dark it's not wholesome no. the wholesome town is purported to be in the, the first one or two episodes depending on how you
0: order these or number of these. Right. Um, it, it, and that's what I like about these episodes is that sometimes it'll start out on a very dark note and then get humorous or it'll start out on a humorous note. I, I guess one could argue that every episode that you watch with the Twin Peaks uh, with the, the the Log Lady intro um, rather is, is kind of um, entertaining and not really very serious because, you know, she's kind of a an odd character, but, um, so we get the, we get a glimpses into a lot of different things here in, in this particular episode. We got a look at, uh, one Eye Jacks, which, um, will get, um, more, more attention in episodes to come. We get a look at the Black Lodge, and then, of course, we get, um some very, very, um, interesting, um, scenes. Of course, you could say that about every scene of Twin Peaks, but, um, why don't you talk about the, um, the Tibetan method that, uh, that Dr. Cooper, not Dr., I'm sorry, that Agent Cooper had dreamed up and, um, you know uh, how this little procedure goes because I think it's it, it, it's a very fun scene. This is this is a, a, a light scene for the show that's covering a very serious topic. So um, something that you know Lynch is, knows all too well.
1: And I think it's different the cop procedurals and detective shows because the detective Cooper isn't solving these cases conventional logic. He's going a different room and. That might be something intrinsic to Cooper, or it might be his reaction to the environment he's in because he's beginning to realize that Twin Peaks um, isn't um, a conventional town.
0: Right, and he's got this um, this chalkboard with all the suspects on it, and they all have the letter J in it for one um, either you know first or last name, and um, you know he throws he talks about the country of Tibet and then how he dreamed up this method and like you said it's 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 something that you wouldn't expect from uh, you know a regular FBI agent someone that's uh, kind of very by the book um, and of course we, we do get this character in this show with, with Albert who's introduced to the, in this episode and um I I love his character I love the way that he um whereas Agent Cooper kind of um he feel like I I think you you mentioned this it feels like Agent Cooper's always been a part of Twin Peaks whether or not he can remember or not just because of the way that he fits in so well with everyone and then we have someone like Albert who is uh,
1: I mean straight from X-Files
0: yeah and he you know, he, he he's like the um the anti Cooper almost. Like, in a way. You know?
1: No, Cooper Doppelganger,
0: I mean he was <laughs> Right. Yeah, we'll get into the doppelgangers as the as the uh as the show goes on, but um we do get some interested interesting little things Um, and we talk about the dancing and we have a, we have a, a scene where, um, Audrey is dancing to her own music. She, it's called Audrey's theme and, uh, she plays it on the, on the jukebox and dances in the double R diner. And then we get the, the, um, which is a very cool hip kind of, um, Music And a You know A very cool Kind of uh, Little dance That she does And then we get yeah, the
1: diegetic And the non-diegetic Kind of breaks down like when he Wakes up And starts snapping his fingers To the score, we're kind of Wondering Are these two aware That they're in A work of fiction or
0: not? Right And we had mentioned That If any character Is kind of Self-aware Of the fact That they're in A work of fiction It, it would be Audrey Just because of the way that she acts and interacts with people, Um, spoiling her father's business for, for no particular reason other than it amuses her, playing music that purposely upsets the guests of the hotel, just dancing alone in a diner. Um,
1: it's like trying out choices in a, in a multiple choice video game, just to see what happens. Is that a narrative curiosity?
0: Right. So she's kind of got this, um, this this very free spirit kind of thing, and and or she's aware that she's in this preposterous town that um, I don't know. That's just like. Confusion, and that nothing, that her actions don't really matter because she's in a fictional town. I guess, it, it, like a real daughter, probably wouldn't go, you know, out of their way to spoil a big business deal for their father, um, unless they were a sociopath, or that they figured that their con- their actions had no consequences. But and it is
1: interesting in the return that she wakes up in this kind of white room that doesn't work. Of- in a fiction versus reality, in terms of all worlds and I just I think it's very interesting that Audrey is the character that ends up in that in that situation,
0: right? You know, and and the fact that she's, you know, she's interested in Agent Cooper. Um, she she obviously has a a, a crush on uh, Agent Cooper, and uh, certain people, I guess, were were we're pushing for a romantic relationship between the two and uh I- i'm glad that we never go down that road because I-, I think you had mentioned it there's enough um disgusting older men um kind of uh, what's the word that praying on a, oh. a on, on younger women and and i think you you said it perfectly. It, it that that's not the way that agent cooper would behave either he would be very respectful of and i think that he's he's he knows that audrey i and i think he makes mention of it that he i think he's very acutely aware that audrey is interested in him but he ne- he never crosses that line and we get plenty of people crossing that line um, speaking of which i want to talk about the next uh, little dance scene that this this episode has, um, and that's uh, Leland Palmer. Do you wanna do you wanna tackle this one?
1: Oh uh, yeah, I think the way Leland dances with Laura's picture, it almost makes her into like an object of fiction, like a lot of the the cop procedural detective series do with uh, the the female victims that are kind of killed off and silenced before she really begins. I think that really emphasizes. And then we've got that contrast with the black Watch scene where Nora is literally resurrected; she comes back from the dead and solves her own murder. So I thought there was a nice linking between the scenes.
0: You know, I—that's interesting because I would—I would say that the—the the ultimate um, uh, losing of one's agency would be death. Um, yes. And then, like you said, so sh- she's reduced to nothing more than a. A picture, and the way that, he, and I think that it, it's so interesting that the way that he's he's dancing with her, I think is is kind of like the two uh, his two psyches kind of at war with each other all at once. Yes. You know, um, we we've kind of got the the. the the father that's lost his daughter that's clearly mourning the loss, and then we have this like angry, violent kind of side that that's kind of reeling its 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 head here. and like he's
1: dancing and mourning. It's like a performance, right? Because right. it's dance. I,
0: I, I, like he doesn't, you know. It's these two sides of himself battling and he doesn't really know how to it's almost like um an interpretive dance of his emotions yeah
1: dancing and crying
0: <laughs> right um he he doesn't know um i think you know part of him uh, you know the bob part of him that that killed laura um would be would would be celebrating with a celebratory dance and the the morning le- the morning father is um is crying and I think it's very interesting that, um, the mother, when this happens, says, what the hell is going on in this house? And we kind of made, um, we were discussing about what's actually going on in this house because, uh, obviously the Palmer house, um, is, is kind of like a, some sort of portal to evil. Um, there's some sort of, there's some sort of door here that's been opened up in the universe, and we, we talked a little bit about how, um, characters in movies and in works of fiction, sometimes when, when dealing with these sorts of, um, events, whether it be supernatural or whatnot, or, um... The, the the abuse of alcohol often comes in as a way to kind of dampen the reality of what's what's happening and i made uh i i gave the examples of um the original a uh, nightmare on elm street um uh, the the main character's mother uh drinks uh heavily to um repress the thoughts of freddy Krueger and kind of um go into denial, and in Dr. Sleep, the sequel to The Shining, um, Danny Torrance drinks heavily to, to kind of, um, dampen, and, and completely black out the, the, the Shining in his head. So I, I think it's interesting, because we'll see, um, this character become basically a full-blown alcoholic in the return.
1: Yeah, and she's also possessed, so you've got Leland possessed by Bob, which is like personification of childhood abuse, the evil that, that encompasses, but then you see that Sarah is also possessed by Jowdy, which is symbolic of the knowledge and the, the hiding uh, of abuse, which is like another evil force that she chooses to
0: Right, and I, I, think that you know people that have are are dealing with some sort of, um, you know, you know, being aware. Uh, I, I think that being acutely aware of exactly what's happening would probably drive her insane. And I think it actually does drive her insane. But I think that she uses um, alcohol to to kind of um, forget. You know, to it's almost a way of tricking herself into forgetting that she's possessed, and that she kind of knows the whole time what exactly happened to her daughter and what kind of is going on in the house. Because we do see that she has these glimpses of of Bob. You know, she she knows that something's going on in the house, and she even I think it was the um, either the first episode of the pilot episode where she's sitting on the couch and she's talking to the sheriff and she asks who's upstairs and she doesn't even know that it you know it's her her husband up there because it's almost as if she doesn't know which version of her family is is wandering around the house and I I wonder if that's kind of um what it would be like to live with someone that either has a substance abuse problem or someone that is um in an abusive relationship it's own you know like it, it's like a stranger in the house or if you have um again going back to the substance abuse if you have a member of the family that you know their personalities switch because they've well been drinking or abusing a substance you know it, it's almost like it's almost like a, diff, a completely different person which we kind of get in Twin Peaks with Leland and Bob and different people and doppelgangers does that make any sense or I, uh, my my? uh yeah up? it's like that
1: shift between like knowledge and repression because we see that in Fire Walk With Me as well when Norris is to I mean, stay away from me and like one minute he's confused and then the next it's very obvious that he's, he knows what she's talking about and, We see it with, well, it's, it's, there's a tension between her consciously repressing what she knows or actually not
0: knowing. Right. Um, so onto something, we'll, we'll, we'll double back to something that's a little bit, um, lighter is, um. We, we mentioned a little bit of it, but I think I, I think that I want to highlight more the, um, the Tibetan method of uh, throwing stones at a bottle. And um, I love the way that, because we deal with such heavy topics that we were just talking about with the whole Palmer household. It, it, it's really heavy, heavy stuff. And then we kind of, you know, of all places, it's the police procedural, uh, particularly in this episode, that that offers the the lightest moments, the the most humorous moments of this episode. Um, yeah, that's
1: a good point. Just like with the Palmer households, that's that's usually the setting for some kind of a sitcom, exactly. or an after-school special,
0: right? And in Lynch's world, you know that that's source of horror. Yeah, that's where the real horror is taking place. Is at home, behind the closed doors, where nobody else is around, and it's just like you know, just the family. And then we get to, you know, the sheriff station, and we have Albert, who immediately gets on everyone's nerves. Um, a great scene where Cooper boops the sheriff on the nose which I just I don't know why I find that scene so funny it's only a couple seconds long but it's right before Albert shows up and I I just love it that he just like boops the sheriff on the nose like I, I do to my dog you know <laughs> what you do to your cat you know and then the interactions with Albert his no nonsense style just clashes immediately with everyone particularly um Oh, geez, I'm forgetting her name. The receptionist. Oh, Lucy and Andy. It's, right. It's,
1: I can't even imagine uh, disliking those two or saying anything remotely mean to them. <laughs> it's it's just shocking how he treats them the minute he sees them because they're such nice, wholesome characters.
0: Right. And, and to Albert, you know, I think he's he's got this uh, preconceived notion about what people in a small town are probably like. But, you know. Yeah. Um... But you know, so we get the humor, the the very humorous interactions with Albert, um, and I, I love the way that Agent Cooper um, describes Albert as 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 lacking social niceties. I think it is.
1: Yes, a really polite way of saying somebody's kind of mean.
0: Yeah, it's a nice way of saying that this guy's got a hair across his ass for you know. just gonna have to bear with it and um you know it's clear that Agent Cooper because of his demeanor the only reason that I think that he um you know it's interesting to me thinking back on his interactions with Albert and Twin Peaks fire walk with me um it's you know he he's a little bit more stoic and serious in fire and fire walk with me. And maybe that's because he hasn't quite gotten to twin peaks yet, but Albert's always been a smart ass. Cause I remember, you know, speaking of agent Cooper and his dreams, this will be a nice segue into the, uh, the next scene that we're going to talk about. But in fire walk with me, um, he's talking with Albert and he says, you know, the next victim of the killer is going to be a girl, <clears throat> she's sexually active, she's using drugs, she's in high school. And he I think Albert's response is like, damn, Cooper, you just described half the girls in America, you know? Um, and then, you know, so we've got that dream aspect from Fire Walk With Me. And then we have the Tibetan dream. And let's see if we can remember all of the... J's. I'll start and then um we'll go back and forth and see if we can remember them all. Um one of which was Lawrence Jacoby or Dr. Jacoby. Yeah, I'm
1: thinking James.
0: Right. James uh Leo Johnson. Yep. And who are we missing? I know that there's um A one-eyed, one-eyed oh, jack. One eye, one
1: eye. checks. eye,
0: yeah. Right, and it, I I love this procedure because everybody, you know, he starts out and he's got one of these um, um, chalkboards that that flips over so you have two sides to write on. So he he brings out the entire sheriff's station. So it's him, Hawk, uh, Lucy, Andy and Sheriff Truman and I love the way that they, they all they're all sitting there and then when when he's t- talking to them about Tibet they all like lean over lean in like little kids like in preschool or kindergarten like they're being taught like they're in a classroom
1: yeah I like that Harry kind of slowly comes around to it at the beginning you can tell he's very he's really fond of Cooper, so he's, he's playing along and then he starts leaning forward and starts saying um, getting uh, invested in
0: what he's saying as well right and we were talking about the different characterizations I think that you know Andy is the kind of guy that will um will do anyone that believe anything will believe anything and do kind of he's very subservient um because he's the deputy, so he respects the fact... You know, he respects the sheriff. He's also very subservient, I would say, to um, to Lucy and their relationship. Sure. So, and then uh, Sheriff Truman, I think, is very... Um, is, is It strikes me as the type of person that if someone like Agent Cooper showed up in his town and was doing all these weird, bizarre stuff, but wasn't getting results... You know, he'd be tossed out on his ass. But I think yeah. the fact that Cooper, who seem, we mentioned in other, um, in our other talks—you know—seems a little bit um, naive, almost very innocent, but but he's he's also incredibly sharp and intuitive. And then, really yeah,
1: this this bizarre method actually works.
0: Right. And I remember, you know, there's so many great little, um, little interactions of, um, of him with all the different various people. I think, I think Hawk is kind of, um, just because we'll we'll see later on as the series progresses, you know, that he's, um, you know, he's a, a Native American and an indigenous American and they have very, um, deep, um kind of mythical or borderline supernatural be- beliefs in in off in, in 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 different tribes um so i think that he's he's more you know he's very sound minded but he's also open to seeing if the you know sometimes you got to think outside the box so we get this this uh, this whole thing where um I think the scene is genius because, like you said, this is this makes for a perfect episode of Twin Peaks because you you get a rundown of all the main suspects of Laura Palmer's murder, and you know before he throws a rock at the bottle for each one, he has Lucy say her name and then say their relationship to Laura Palmer, and we. Yeah, That's act-
1: like a previously on Twin Peaks
0: uh, segment, right? And instead of doing the previous on Twin Peaks segment, um
1: beginning yes in the middle of the episode it's a really cool experimental way of presenting this
0: right because i i i'm sure that you know there was certain you know this wasn't an easy show to get on the air to begin with so i'm sure that there were a lot of um kind of network notes from some of the uh the suits saying you know they were probably saying well you know you got to you you might have to reinforce certain ideas here and there and like we kind of need to make sure that people are all keeping track of it and um you know i'm sure that you know that's not the you know david lynch for sure i can i i know and i'm sure mark frost were kind of just like well you know would 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 rather just be left alone and not do that but i'm sure but i i'm sure that you know lynch got the note that like well you know we're three episodes in. Let's just make sure that the uh, the audience is keeping keeping up with the story. So let's uh, find a way of reiterating who the major suspects is and Lynch. You know I, I'm sure he probably had this dream of you know throwing rocks at a bottle, and he said that that's the way I'll do it. You know, fine. You you want us to to recap all the uh, all all the the main suspects and and to make sure that that we. Um, you know, candidly put exactly what their relationship to Laura Palmer is, so, uh, yeah, we'll do that, and then, you know, the the whole procedure is him throwing rocks at a bottle, and uh, the two, I think it Leo Johnson and Dr. Jacoby, um, which one one of those two names, the bottle hits and falls over, and the other one, the bottle breaks, do you recall which one was which?
1: Oh, um, I think so. I'm trying to think backwards with this.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: I, which one of these guys was more involved in Nora's life? I think... I think she knew Jacoby better. I was
0: going to say, I think the bottle broke with Dr. Jacoby. I think.
1: Yeah.
0: I think so. Um, and... He
1: kind of has his own subplot, really. He's the drug trade. He's got the abusive relationship uh, stuff with Shunny.
0: Right, and I think that what, um... I mean, he's a red
1: herring in terms of Laura's murder, because, it, like, right now at this point in the series, it looks like it's him.
0: Right. Um... And, uh, yeah, she, he's got, um... We talked about the the, the brutal scene between him um, and his wife uh, in the previous episode, but, uh... It's very interesting to me that we then get a um, another humorous scene with uh, Big Ed and Nadine and um, Grease on cotton balls for, for her silent drape runner. Um, Almost
1: like a comedic way of showing this uh, episode's theme of silence and lack of communication, because Nadine is pretty much in her own headspace, so she's not really talking to Ed. They're not communicating very well, and at the same time, then you've got this silent theme with the silent drapes, and then Laura can't communicate, and then the guys eating the sandwiches can't be really It it winds up in, in terms of that theme.
0: Ooh, that's yeah, that's very interesting, right? um because yes, yeah, she's obsessed with having silent drape runners, and uh, initially she's she's very upset with with Ed um, for getting grease all over the house. But it turns out that this was a, a, a blessing in disguise because she now gets her silent um, drape runners, and like with an
1: accidental intuitive solving of that the problem. The way Cooper purchases uh, his tastes. right. Absolutely. Is that too much of a
0: stretch? <laughs> no, I think I, I I think you're I think you're spot on there with the um. You know what might initially seem. Like a disaster, like having the the grease, or, you know, if you're, taking a serious police investigation, all of a sudden this FBI agent starts throwing rocks at a bottle. You're kind of probably rolling your eyes, going, "What the hell is this all about?" Um, and then. And we get um what are we missing anything before we get to the end cuz the I
1: was thinking that the like um Cooper in his nose is almost like the reference to the drug trade when Nora touches her nose in the black lodge <laughs> he's like yeah. yeah
0: he's he's like yeah yeah because uh, um
1: there's a lot of cocaine stuff in the the forest scene
0: Which I think looks a lot like a found footage Or it looks very blue and Oh yeah it does um, Is this the uh, this Is is this the episode where they um, Yes um, Bob and Mikey are, are going out And the whole drug trade Is taking place within um, Footballs And yeah. you think that Leo's going to kill um, Bobby And because he tells him to go out, he, you know, tells him to go out for a pass, and he's holding a gun, and and so basically Bobby's running for his life, and he turns around, and all of a sudden you see this this football just like hit the hood of the car, um, yeah I want I want. It was like a
1: wholesome cover. The football is like the cover, and then inside it's full of cocaine. It's like you know the. The, the sunny
0: town of the dark secrets right and that's we, we, we talked about this with the, the the small town you know bright sun and the picket white picket fences and f- the flower gardens and then you know the um the darkness that's underneath and then you, you know a lot of people um high school football is a big thing and then you know, yeah, it's like the wholesome all-American sport. But you know, what happens when you cut open a football in Twin Peaks? It's full of cocaine. You know, it's just very interesting stuff, um, just multi-layered things. And I think cool. that, I think it's very interesting though that you said that you know Cooper booping the sheriff on the nose might be a reference to cocaine because um, the sheriff just like I, I remember when they were going through Laura Palmer's diary. You know, he tells them to, to, to test this little baggie, and you, I'm sure you're going to find traces of cocaine. And the sheriff was, uh, was like, adamant. He's like, no, I knew Laura Palmer. There's no way she's doing, you know. It's almost like this this town's kind of in denial of itself, <laughs> you know, of, like, the kind of dark stuff that's going on, that they, they don't want to think that um, such a thing could be happening. Not in our town, you know. Um what about um Oh what was I gonna say
1: um, oh the Easter egg, um, to move over when we see invitation to love it's like we get the first glimpse of that uh, show within the show and it's kind of making like a parody of the viewer because we're watching scenes like um, uh, Donna and James soap opera and maybe you see a more ridiculous version of what we're seeing within the show. Right. And then the, the opening of um, Invitation to Love looks a lot like Velvet's um, well, opening credits.
0: It does, yeah. Uh, and once again, Donna and James, um, they're just so um, it's that I, I guess it's kind of like that um, stereotypical couple that everyone rolls their eyes out because they're so yeah. lovey dovey, and everything that they say to each other sounds like it's out of a Hallmark card, um, and the,
1: the hashtag feeling blessed of the of the nineties.
0: <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, and, and I I feel bad because I know that um, I I can't think of anything that that the actor that plays James. I can't really think of anything else that I've seen him in, but I know Laura Flynn Boyle is a, a fantastic actress, so I know that it's she's kind of going through it, and um, I I think that her her character develops more. J- James, unfortunately, if memory serves, feels like a very one note character throughout. The, these just
1: yeah, the, the tropey you know stock character
0: boyfriend type. yeah yeah I, I i know that in the return there's a whole different thing going on with him but that we've got a ways to go but if i i think he's the one that i'm gonna make a note of it i think that of, uh, as of now i think that he's the one that makes the least character development throughout the course of the <laughs> series um
1: his face barely moves.
0: Yeah, I sent you um there's a meme that I have of the the um the many, yeah. uh, every every emotion and feeling as discre- uh, as um faced I guess or pictured by James Hurley and it's it's just he's got this same it's a very kind of pouty puppy dog eyes look on his face. Um it
1: has to be a parody. Like, I I I don't think I that that
0: can be taken seriously? No, 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 no. It's definitely Lynch saying, "Yeah, you know, like I, I, I'm taking these these characters. He's 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 like turning up. It's like the, he's really turning up the volume on some of these stereotypes, like the uh, the jerk jock boyfriend um, is, you know, cheating on his girlfriend, doing cocaine." Um, smokes at the dinner table, like he's really turning up the volume on the stereotypes. Whereas, like you know, that kind of a character would be a five or a six, and and Lynch is cracking it up, cranking it up to a ten or an eleven. And the same thing, I think, with James is like, um, I I I, I think I I I'm theorizing that the character is called James um, after James. James, James? Yes that that's exactly who I, I i picture uh i you know i have nothing to back that up in other than my own theory but i that's kind of who i picture because i know that there's you know you you, you know he was playing i think it's rebel without a cause where he um he has this scene where he's he's just like yet tearing me apart and like you know he's like
1: <laughs> I'm just kind of the Tommy Wiseo. <laughs> <about
0: it. laughs> well that's exactly where he got it from. Yeah, yeah Tommy Wiseau's yeah. got a weird uh James Dean obsession, but um
1: yeah, he thinks he is James Dean which, which makes it even better.
0: Yeah, he he, he kinda does. Um uh, he, he he is uh he's a he's a character that um wow, we could just do a whole episode talking about Tommy Wiseau. Uh Yeah, I have
1: so many song on that guy.
0: If you're not following Tommy Wiseau on Twitter, I strongly advise that you do. He's yeah. entertaining on a daily basis. Um, so before we start wrapping things up, let's let's get to kind of probably the scene that everyone. It's this is probably one of the most iconic sequences in Twin Peaks. Is the the last, I would say, twenty five percent of this show, um, the last quarter. Yeah is this dream sequence and this dream sequence my god we get um the one armed man who I believe who identifies himself as Mike I think um
1: uh, yeah Capitalize Mike because he's there uh, from another world so um, and yeah, they use all cops
0: there right and Bob with you know that that like like Sean just said all caps Um, and Mike and Bob used to be partners and they lived in a convenience store above a gas station and that this yeah
1: which we see in Far Walk With Me yeah it actually is a real place
0: and and and, um, even more so in The Return we will see we will see the uh, the the apartment above the gas station, um, and so this this is just pure Lynchian madness. One day, Mike met God, and
1: yeah, it does make me wonder who God is. We don't get to see.
0: W- uh, no, we don't,
1: or what?
0: But I have to I have to think that in this world, it, uh, my theory is that in this world that. Um, every character probably has their own version of God. Um, yeah. Just because... I I think that every character has these... at least two sides to them. You know, there's... It's a very dual personality kind of thing going on here in Twin Peaks. And... He cut off his own arm, which had the name Bob tattooed on it. Um, and then we... I think this is the first time that Bob speaks, if I'm not mistaken, Uh, we had seen yeah, Bob previously. Yeah, so kind of on Kennedy
1: here, because he's usually just shrieking.
0: He's either just staring ominously at you, like, crouched behind the bed or something, and, like, slowly getting up, and it's very, yeah, it's very unnerving. Um, and we do get the first words from Bob, and he says that he will kill again. And then, as if that wasn't weird enough, then we finally get inside, um the red room and the man from another world who um this is it a becomes form. like
1: the literal arm right it's like a tree with a brain that's called the arm
0: yes the, we'll get to that in um the return um and I'm that- just wondering
1: if it's Mike's arm if there's some kind of connection there because Laura's arms are bent back in, in, uh, when she's killed, and she makes a reference to that
0: here as well. Right, there's a lot of interesting things going on with arms here. Uh, Laura says that sometimes her arms bend back, you know, making reference to her. Um, and we, we were talking about agency earlier. This this is Laura reclaiming her agency, because like you said, she basically solves her own murder. You know? It's...
1: Uh, yeah, cause that's a really powerful subversion to me, the, the traditionally killed off, female victim comes back to solve her own murder. That really does give that character trope agency.
0: Right. Um, And and I think that's really... uh, It's it's powerful. And I don't know how much of this was planned out in advance. And I know that we're going to get... You know, not only is Cheryl Lee the the, the, the lead in uh, Fire Walk with Me, but we're gonna get Laura's cousin played by Cheryl Lee. Um, Another
1: resurrection, yeah.
0: Right. She's
1: um, killed the same way as Laura, so it's like it repeats itself. That kind of cycle of domestic
0: violence. Yeah, this cycle. The, the
1: giant saying it's happening again.
0: Right, but I I don't know. See, that's 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 why I don't know how far in advance this was all planned out because. Lynch, um, wrote the character of Laura's cousin specifically because, you know, he initially just cast Cheryl Lee, um, based on a, 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 like a promo, like a headshot, like an actor, actress's headshot. And that, that's the way that she got cast because there was not going to be any real dialogue for her other than in flashbacks and um, just prominently in these pictures. She's, she was mostly going to be reduced to pictures, but Lynch was so impressed with with her and her presence and her um, her talent that he actually came up with the idea of the cousin. And um, Like we mentioned when we talked with Fire Walk with me, I think that L- uh, Lynch in particular really fell in love with these characters in this town and um again we always say Lynch we have to we do need to yeah. we we do need to credit Mark Frost because as the series progresses uh particularly with the return which has uh i to my knowledge no involvement from Frost uh their their relationship kind of got a you know it was it was good now so we'll just focus on the on these episodes but um it's going to yeah. become strained down the line so I don't know how much of this was was planned as far as the arms. I know that there was an issue with the actor playing the little the, playing the little person, that danced, um, had an issue with not wanting to come back. Either that or he's deceased. I'm sorry, I should have done more research, but I know that that's the that's the reason that in the return, is that we don't have him in in yeah. there. Um, we have the tree that that is the arm. So yeah, there's there's a there's so much going on here. Um I, I, I keep saying that I, I need to take more notes and have some sort of like uh dry erase board uh to keep in my apartment to to keep track of each episode. My Cooper with the blackboard. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I need that. I need the blackboard so I could have two sides too, that'd be perfect.
1: So, so planned or not, I do think that Lynch is parodying like police procedurals with more coming back. Yeah. And the idea of like women being silenced. And this is like her trying to break out of that convention. Mm
0: -hmm. And there was a lot of
1: like them trauma movies out at the time of like people getting flashbacks to abusive childhoods, and it will be represented in this kind of experimental form where you have like fragmented imagery and and dialogue that might be presented backwards, like in literature. And I think Laura using that kind of backwards speech uh, plays around with that and shows it to be kind of useless when it comes to representing trauma there was a time where it was considered the only way to represent it
0: yeah and this and again for network television in 1990 this is these are heavy things that he's you know that they're tackling here and i and i know that i i wonder that if in the like the black lodge in this red room um It's very dreamlike, and it almost feels like, uh, you know, if if for those of people that don't know that oftentimes people with trauma, our brains have this like self defense mechanism. And I, I wonder that if because it's like a repressed memory or a repressed dream or a dream you're trying desperately to remember is why all the all the talking in these scenes feels backwards, it feels like it's um I don't know it feels very odd, it feels very out of place, it doesn't feel natural so one
1: um, of the meta commentary is like apparently with the flashing lights because it looks like a TV and the, the reflective glare of the TV because um, in Fire Walk With Me you see the TV being smashed. it's like oh. we're breaking conventions here
0: right and so we had the dance, we had um Audrey's danced, Leland's danced, Uncle Jerry uh danced in a deleted scene, and then we have the man in a the little man in a red suit from another world who says Let's Rock and then says some very weird <laughs> Obscure, cryptic things to Agent Cooper, Um, and he does
1: foreshadow that the the cousin, because he's like, "This is my cousin," but doesn't she look like Laura Palmer?
0: Exactly, and um, and then Cooper asks her if she go, isn't, aren't you Laura Palmer? And then she says, "I know, I feel like I know her, but sometimes my arms bend back." And then we get this really cool, jazzy music playing. Mr. Angelo Battle, Angelo Battle um, bringing it with some really, um, very groovy music. Um, not to sound, uh, like Austin Powers, but very. <laughs> and then we get this, this fantastic little dance that he does. And while he's dancing, um, Laura gets up and, and, uh, walks over and, and, um, reveals the name of the killer into Agent Cooper's ear. And then we get Agent Cooper waking up, and I love the fact that, um, his, he's got serious bedhead when he wakes up and calls (laughs) Sheriff Truman. Yeah,
1: I remember thinking it was, like, Leighton's hair turning white overnight. Just this extreme, like, experience.
0: Right. Yeah, like like a, the kid that's accidentally sticks the fork in the electrical socket, and you know, it's yeah. get, the hair blown out. Um, yeah, <laughs> and then I, I he, he calls up Sheriff Truman, and then it's again. I, I also with Audrey, I wonder if Agent Cooper realizes that he's in a work of fiction because he yeah, is a, ostensibly. Uh, snapping his fingers along to the music in the dream, which in any other TV show would be music that only the audience could hear and not the character. I mean, you watch a sitcom; the characters in the sitcom don't hear the laugh track. They're, you know, <laughs> they don't. You know. Yeah, and
1: it's very unnerving if they do, like Lynch's Rabbit. There's a, an awareness of that.
0: Right. So, you're know an
1: Ontological bleed between fiction and
0: reality. Yeah, just you know, just imagine that though. Like if you know, all of a sudden, you know, he's just snapping along, and it, it ends like all, well, not all, but most uh, soap operas do with a cliffhanger to keep you hanging on for next week because um, he says he tells Sheriff Truman that uh, he knows who the killer is. And then says, no, it can wait for tomorrow. And we'll find out soon enough what the payoff for it is, which is, it, it's, it's a great payoff. Uh, I, One of my
1: favorite moments when he says that I have Yeah. After all of this buildup.
0: I can, I can imagine. Look, because we were talking about what a phenomenon this, this show was at the time. I can, uh. I could see some people getting a little irritated at that, but you know, we'll we'll, see. we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But um, uh, let's let's uh, wrap up um, episode two, which is Zen or the skill to catch a killer. Um, we'll start first with anything. In particular, that anything in this episode that you didn't particularly like? Or anything that, um... Before we get to the highlights, let's talk about if there's any uh, low points in this particular episode.
1: I not really. I think this is one of the, the more, I don't want to say perfect Lynchian episodes, but I mean, that's the only way I go describe it. A quintessential. Twin Peaks, you have got him.
0: You know, the only thing that I would say is, um... The, the syrupy sweet um Donna and James stuff yeah. but this but in this episode this episode again um why it's one of the probably one, if not the perfect Twin Peaks episode is that it's paced so quickly and it it goes it just flows so smoothly and effortlessly that you, it, these 45 minutes pass like it was nothing so we don't spend a lot of time with uh James and Donna being um uh Overly lovey-dovey, um, and yeah. Uh, other than that, like this episode, I, I, everything about it. I'm just looking over here at the plot synopsis. is just genius. Um, any, any, anything that you want to highlight? Is there a particular scene? What would you say is like the uh, the ultimate scene to highlight from this particular episode, or scenes? I think the black
1: scene because it's it's been. Like reference so much across pop culture, we we get it in Simpsons as well. We get it in pop six. I think we even see it in Mystery Incorporated.
0: R- yeah, so that it, it, it's, it's just
1: that iconic.
0: It it really is. It 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 truly was unlike anything that people were had seen on TV. Um, again, it, it's kind of hard with um, sometimes for people to. To kind of put themselves in that f- the frame of mind that we're talking about, nineteen ninety, where we didn't have dozens of streaming services and there weren't, or you know, series weren't being um, binge watched. You know, you would have to you would have to wait each week to check te- check out an episode of Twin Peaks. And um, so this, the, yeah, I I am gonna concur with you that the uh, the Black Lodge scene is just. Um, it, it's so iconic it, it, It's. And there's another
1: layer reveal later that we find out that Laura had the stream as well it's just Cooper's dream it doesn't
0: belong to him as well. right so yeah the, So the, the, this this episode um, just carries through with the story so perfectly it sets up new characters and um, it really it, it ends on such a great cliffhanger and um, I, I'm with you I love the reveal that he he forgot <laughs> he forgets who the name is But uh, I could see some people getting ticked off on that. But we'll we'll be covering episode three next week. Um, Please follow uh, Dr. Sean Travers on Twitter and Instagram. Her links are in the episode description. And um, her pinned tweet is uh, all about how you can find her book and where to buy it. So please check that out. And uh, thank you all for joining us for another episode. Episode of Twin Peaks talk. Uh, we're gonna call it Twin Peaks Talk and le- and until we can think of anything a little bit more clever
1: yeah, pinned tweaks and Twin Peaks. I don't
0: know, it's a work in progress. Pinned yes, yes. Pinned tweaks talk. Um, yes. So we will be back next week with episode three. Um, thank you all so much for coming on this journey back to Twin Peaks with us. We both appreciate it. Take care.